Today I'm here with Tenson Yankee, and she's working at, she's, oh shit, I fucked up too, oh whatever, I don't care. Anyway, so she's on the Navajo Nation, and I'll let her give her, give her uh, introduction, because she can do it better than I can. Hi everyone, I'm Tenson Yankee, um, I am a Tibetan who live in India, um, currently I study at Duke University, my major is environmental engineering, and a certificate in innovation and entrepreneurship and I am here in Navajo Nation interning at DPI for this summer. Okay cool so I think it's not unusual that we have international students here um, and so when I heard that you were coming I was actually really interested mm -hmm. um, just because it's uh, a part of the world that I don't really know much about you know mm -hmm. so I've always wanted to talk to someone about that and you come from a very specific area um, which is part of India. Do you, what's the name of the part that you come from? Um, I grew up in Ladakh, so that's northern India. Okay. But my grandparents um, are from Tibet. Uh -huh. They fled Tibet in 1960s, um, but we lost our nation in 1959. That's when China occupied us. China actually started occupying us from 1949, uh -huh. but then in 1959, that's when Dalai Lama fled into exile uh -huh. uh, to, to India and a lot of Tibetans started coming out uh, as a refugee in oh, India okay. and Nepal. So what's besides India and Nepal, where were other locations that they went to? Um, so in the beginning, it was basically in India and Nepal. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, uh, a lot of Tibetans move have moved to western countries like mm -hmm. europe or um u.s as well there are a lot of tibetan population here and that's partly because u.s government supported tibetans to come to united states as a refugee mm -hmm. as a support for the you know like for the struggle yeah the the u.s support behind tibetan nationalism um and so and that, that's kind of the history behind how your family ended up in uh, india how how's your life been living in india what's it like um, I primarily grew up in a Tibetan settlement, um, so it's entirely Tibetan community, even though we lived uh, in, so like my, the place where I live is, um, is like called Ladakh, so there are a lot of Ladakhis. Culturally, we share very similar, um, I don't know, values or like tradition, but um, yeah, because Ladakhis are Indian citizens, whereas Tibetans are um, Tibetans, like Tibetan refugee in India. But in other parts of India, it's all Indians, and then we have Tibetans settlements all across India. So it's like a Tibetan community set or settlement within Indian communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I went to Tibetan schools. Um, yeah, so I think that's how we as Tibetan refugees were able to protect our culture and um, language and identity even after coming into exile. Okay, so yeah. just a timeline is um, you lived in India, mm -hmm. you went to school there, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when did you, I believe you said you went to school in England at one point. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So I studied, yeah, so I grew, so I studied in India until age 16. Mm-hmm. And from my high school, last two years of high school, I was in the UK for two years. So that was supported by a charity called Pestalozzi. It's an educational charity based mm-hmm. in East Sussex. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was able to go to public school and study A-levels, okay. uh, get a British education, and then afterwards I applied to U- U.S. colleges, and that's yeah. how I got into Duke. How is that? What's the process like behind that, you know, applying to U.S. colleges from an international student standpoint? Um, I would say that it's definitely harder. Um, that's mainly because... I so the main reason why I wanted to apply to US colleges was they give out scholarships and it, which is very hard to get but at the same time there is the opportunity there is a possibility whereas in UK when I was looking for opportunities to study in this in their colleges there mm-hmm. aren't many you know like bursaries or like financial support that they give to international students so yeah definitely it was harder but yeah that's but I still got it, so yeah. that means there is a possibility, and I'm very happy that I actually got the opportunity. Yeah, that's really interesting. So, you know, my perspective has always been, as most people have listened to this podcast, as an indigenous person in mm-hmm. the U.S., and I've played with the idea of applying to other um, countries. Mm-hmm. In this case, I'm planning to apply to Vancouver. Uh, when, when you came here, was there like a culture shock? Or was just due to your travels, you were already expecting this? Yeah, um, it wasn't a big culture shock as much because I also, like, so uh, as I told you that I stayed in the UK for two years, mm-hmm. and then I've also been to Japan for, like, international exchange as well, yeah. or, like, a summer school. So I've been exposed to a variety of, like, international communities. So it wasn't that hard settling in the U.S. Mm-hmm. as an international student. Yeah. What's the... How often do you run into... Is there, like, a small community, or I don't want to say settlement of Tibetans, but, like, you... Are there communities of Tibetans within the U.S. that you find yourself connected with or that you make connections with? Mm-hmm. Um, so Tibetans in the U.S., they are... So right now, obviously, like, if they have citizenship, then they become Tibetan Americans, right? Yeah. Tibetan Americans, like, they are um, everywhere in the U.S., as far as I know. Like, And I think everywhere, meaning, like, um, so there are some group in Portland, I've heard, because one of my friends is from there. Yeah. Um, there are a huge... I think Tibetan community in Minnesota, and then there's a huge, huge Tibetan community in New York. Um, I know about this because every single year I go to attend a Tibetan gathering. Um, it's more of like a conference uh, where we talk about the future of Tibet and like the struggle and the mm-hmm. movement. Um, yeah, so that's how I know that there are he- there is a huge co- Tibetan community in New York. So that's basically in like Jackson Heights and like Queens area. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that kind of leads into the next kind of portion of this discussion, which is what is the struggle and movement behind Tibet? Um, we kind of, you, you touched upon it with the history of Tibet being mm-hmm. exiled and being occupied by China. What What is the goals of the movement and what do they seek for Tibet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Tibet Tibetan movement has progressed um, a lot it progress meaning like has changed mm-hmm. with time a lot um i say this because um tibet uh historically we are an independent country mm-hmm. um and china claims that tibet is a part of china yeah. which is not true obviously but they claim that and so like uh, so we have been exiled for almost 60 years now yeah 
And um, right after coming to exile, a Tibetan administration, mm -hmm. or we call it Tibetan government in exile in the past, uh, was established in India to, you know, to to lead the movement, Tibetan mm -hmm. struggle. And in the beginning, our official um, status or like the official line was to seek Tibetan independence. Yeah. Um, and then later we realized that it is like historically, yes, we are independent, but like looking at the situation economically and also like, you know, um, international relations yeah. and considering political, you know, um, climate, we realized that it is easier for us to seek middle way approach. So what middle way approach does is we say that we will stay under China, but we will be governing like self-governance under China. So yeah. it's more of like a sovereignty or like yeah. self-determination possibly like Taiwan, mm -hmm. where like you get to exercise your own human rights and all other basic cultural or any any other kind of rights um, mm -hmm. under that government. So that's what our official stand is right now, seeking yeah. middle way approach. And that is done through uh, dialogue because yeah. we believe in peace and dialogue. And that's the message Dalai Lama always carries across the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that seems interesting because... And and you're you've, you're on the Navajo Nation, mm -hmm. um, and we have our own political is issues and struggles with our own, and you know we're about. I think I'm the person that's more of a group of people that is more of full independence for Indigenous people, mm -hmm. and for us that means the dissolving of the U.S. government. Um, do, do you worry that maybe that middle way approach might turn into maybe like a reservation, like the way it's kind of here now, um, just from your experience and kind of what you've been told. Do you do you worry because technically the U, the Navajo Nation is a middle way approach a little bit I think maybe depending on what China offers do you do you worry about that? Um, yeah, I definitely I am still in like uh, I'm still deciding on my own as to like whether I support middle way approach or like independence because I I definitely need to like I'm trying to learn more about it because mm -hmm. um, that is an e that, that is a stance that we have to take um, mm -hmm. in order to like forward our movement um, yeah. I'm learning I'm trying I'm trying to learn more about it um, yeah like I think I have seen like a lot of similarities between Navajo and Tibetan struggle yeah. and um, one of the main thing that concerns me is the land issue here in Navajo Reservation, mm -hmm. and that's um, grazing permit. Yeah. I say this because um, in Tibet currently under Chinese occupation, what's happening right now is, um, so Tibetans, traditionally we live as Tibetan nomads. Yeah. So nomads meaning they will live in tent um, with their livestock, and then every season, like or every season or like in two or three months, they will move around yeah. to different grazing grounds. That's how they live traditionally. But n right now, what Chinese government does is um, they are f trying to resettle them into towns. Yeah. And um, also at the same time, like people who practice as Tibetan nomads, they were giving like grazing permits, like you yeah. know, the like, grazing areas and like. The division is basically happening right now. So if that's the present scenario, and that's exactly what happened in Navajo in the past, so now the grazing permit issue that Navajo is Navajo Nation is facing right now, from my perspective, what I'm concerned about is is like that would be the future of Tibet, and that is really really concerning. Yeah, I think I mean, and this isn't like maybe it's something to take into account. Is what mm -hmm. about the climate, the environment? A lot of the, our issues stems from the political institution or 
Yeah, the institution of grazing permits mm-hmm. with, uh, with overgrazing, but it also has to do just with uh, climate change and the fact that we're in a desert. Uh, does Tibet have issues like that? or? Um, yeah, Tibet, so I think one of the reasons China was interested initially in Tibet is one, is resources. Yeah. Um, China call it Tibet as a Western-like resource. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of resources, they extract uranium, copper, and like all other extractive, you know, like resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at the same time, Tibet is known as um, third pole. And that's, you call it because... Uh, after North Pole and South Pole, Tibet is where you find the largest amount of fresh uh, water or mm-hmm. like um, ice, like glaciers. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why it's called Third Pole. And Tibet is strateg- strategically placed where it is like a head water of major rivers flowing in e- East Asia. Mm-hmm. And that's Mekong, Yangtze. Um, Brahmaputra, Ganges, and like all other, you know, major rivers. Yeah, um, all that, that, the source of that is from Tibet. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And since China occupies us right now, so like China has power over all these um, major rivers, right? And right now, like currently, India and China is having um, kind of like argument over Brahmaputra that's flowing from Tibet and, and entering um, India. And a lot of Indian farmers are dependent on that. Uh, on that river but mm-hmm. what China is trying to do is they're trying to divert the river uh, and the water to the, their northern cities like Beijing, Shanghai and stuff, and other cities mm-hmm. so like China is basically using those water resources for their own benefit mm-hmm. and not thinking about other countries that are yeah that are depending upon it yeah that, there's a lot of similarities you know mm-hmm. the fact that Navajo Nation water rights as well as a lot of our waters being either diverted um, or used um for, I guess, the coal mine, which then supplies cap with this energy to supply water away from the Navajo Nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there, beyond just the grazing permits, what are some similarities that you see, and, and maybe you can speak to it again, uh, of the, the resource extraction in the Navajo Nation as well as the what you see in Tibet? Um, yeah, so I attended, so as part of DPI intern, um, Last week, I attended a convention, so mm-hmm. People's Convention, isn't People's Convention on yeah. fracking, mm-hmm. and during that time, there were, so we talked about fracking, and also we talked about uranium-based mm-hmm. disposal, and that's very, very concerning to me, because mm-hmm. obviously, here in the Navajo Nation, people are struggling with dealing with, like, the uranium waste and how it's affecting, like, the radiation is affecting the health of people, um, and what I've heard from new sources or like other resources is that in Tibet, China is um, basically dumping all this nuclear waste and uranium, like, you know, nuclear waste, mm-hmm. all of them in some parts of Tibet. And even though Tibetans were concerned about it, Tibetans living inside were concerned about it, they are not able to speak against the government or mm-hmm. take any kind of action. Yeah. And that's very scary and also very, like... Yeah, I'm sad at the same time. Yeah, I've heard the term, I've seen it in some literature about the areas becoming sacrifice zones where um, they decided to put all the waste and disposal that comes from any fracking or any site of uh, nuclear waste. They Mm -hmm. put it, they they preserve an area, and that tends to be kind of how uh, some indigenous land happens. Um, Mm -hmm. A little bit more about that is what about you, you you were talking about administrative you know what's that like the is there a government system in tibet or uh 
Um, or, or is it? Are you, I think you mentioned it was an administrative site or administ- administrative structure. I don't know. Enlighten me. Um. So in Tibet, you mean? Yeah, in Tibet. Um. So like, whatever's happening inside Tibet is governed by the Chinese government. Oh, okay. Um. So everything is under under control of the Chinese government, and yeah, like, um. The Tibetans inside Tibet, obviously, they cannot practice um, mm. Tibetan religion, like Buddhist mainly, and any kind of other basic human rights. For example, if they ho- if they have a picture of Dalai Lama, so our spiritual leader right now, mm-hmm. um, then they would be prisoned. Or, for example, if they're carrying a Tibetan flag or like raising slogans for like Tibetan independence or like yeah. just saying free Tibet, they would get imprisoned. And that's just, yeah, very yeah. like sad. Yeah, I think, oh, you know, I made the mistake, and I was referring, I think, the government, the government in, yeah, the government of exiles. Yeah. Um, so, speak to that, please. Yeah, so Tibetan government exile, that's something we call in the past, um, but right now it's called Tibetan Central Administration. Mm-hmm. Central Tibetan Administration, it's short CTA. Um, it's based in India, and what it does is, um, is a democratic... Um, democratically elected uh, uh, administration, mm-hmm. and... That is uh, a Tibetan administration outside Tibet who are working towards uh, the Tibetan struggle Mm -hmm. um, to go back to Tibet. And that's that's what I said, like the official standpoint is taken by this uh, institution, the middle way approach. They are striving to um, connect with Chinese leaders Mm -hmm. and through dialogue they're trying to resolve the Tibetan issue. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the... Uh, the government or, like, the administration in exile. Yeah, that's interesting that, you know, and this is kind of where a little things diverge between the Navajo and Tibetan struggle is that some of us were relocated, you know, Mm -hmm. um, but they were either relocated off the reservation. Uh, The first relocation was uh, the Long Walk, Hawelde, but we were actually, we came back. Um, There was another relocation uh, towards, like, Big Mountain, NPL, or I guess HPL land, which is mm-hmm. Hopi partition land, and a lot of those families, um, I believe a thousand Navajos were forced to relocate, and I believe, I want to say about a hundred families are actually resisting, and they're called resistors, mm-hmm. and they, they get harassed a lot by the Hopi rangers, um, and that's kind of our relocation, except with yours is they established a new government in a different country. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I would say, uh, like, in that sense, it's kind of like relocation, but not exactly at mm-hmm. the same time. Because um, Tibetans who are in exile right now, they fled Tibet because of all the um, restrictions mm-hmm. that are posed on the Tibetans inside Tibet. And Tibetan exile, Tibetans in exile, we were lucky enough and fortunate enough to be able to come outside Tibet um, to, and to freely exercise our basic human rights here in the United States or, like, India or in, in, in any other, uh, like, countries across the world, mm-hmm. as opposed to Tibetans inside Tibet, even though they want to come outside Tibet, they cannot, and that's because of the very strict regulations um, inside yeah. Tibet. That's interesting. The way, yeah. the way, from what you've explained to me, not just from this moment of us discussing it, but previously, is that, you know, I've heard, I've read some of the some articles and the opposition to Tibetan independence is that, oh, they're culturally and linguistically different, but politically they don't have one. Um, or they don't have, like, their own political distinction is what I'm reading. Um, and, it, and so 
the thing too, I I don't know, I don't necessarily agree with that that it needs some kind of political distinction because Navajo people, you know, we technically were very decentralized and our political organization, if we want to call it that, was based around kin and ke and uh, clan systems, and you know, by that by their logic, we don't really, you know, we could easily be uh, subjected to or sub yeah subjected to another tribe's, you know. Uh, rule i guess and i think that's i don't i mean this is probably a very a very simplistic look at something that's much more complex than i understand but i see it as you know i don't want to say tribes but like different tribes in that area you know there's like different dynasties and different empires um no yeah i guess empires um that existed the same way that in the u.s there were different tribes and there you know we obviously quarreled with each other we obviously, you know, we it wasn't perfect peace-loving times, but nonetheless, we did exist. And I kind of see it as, like, one tribe dominating the whole U.S. And, like, using the Navajo Nation, you know, extracting the minerals from there and then telling us we can't practice our religion, you know. Does that seem like a, a pretty... Is that a good uh, a good representation as to maybe what China is possibly... And this is me trying to connect the, the indigenous... Uh, trying to think like a, a metaphor that could possibly relate it to you know people who are native trying to understand the Tibetan struggle does that seem to be the case a little bit or um not really oh, okay um, I say this because um Tibet um historically as I told you that we're an independent country um uh-huh. and we definitely have on and off really like you know good and sometimes bad relationship yeah. with China in the past and that's because we are neighboring countries right yeah and the the conclusion that the, you, you are trying to get is about, like, a different dynasties coming together. And that's, like, so chi- um, China is right now comprised of, I think, 50-something. So, like, 56, I guess. I'm not yeah. too sure of the number, but it's 50-something yeah. um, minorities. Yeah. And that includes Tibetans. And yeah. their majority is Han. Han. Um, but, but that's because they are trying to occupy us, not yeah. because... We were part of them, and you know, yeah. like in the past, yeah. not necessarily like that. Yeah, I think that's. I, I want to make clarification. Is like you have a large. Well, I don't want to. Well, I'll make up a, a tribe. We'll mm-hmm. call them the. We'll call them a tribe. Just a mm-hmm. letter a tribe, and they are dominant. And then they kind of take over and say, "Hey, Navajos, you can't do that." Even though technically we consider ourselves distinct, mm-hmm. you know, and we have our own political organization. And they kind of do everything that China did. Is that does that make it, or is it still? Am I just missing it? Um, <laughs> All right, it sounds like your facial expressions tell me I'm, <laughs> I fucked up. No, okay. no, yeah, um, yeah. Cause like culturally, we are so different from mm-hmm. Tibet. Like our Tibetan language itself, we it is stemmed from um, Sanskrit, and that's like the very old language of um, Buddhism yeah. uh, in India. Yeah. Um, Tibetan scholars went to t- India back in 700s, and then they that that's when they like made the Tibetan alphabets, and like that's mm-hmm. how we started having our Tibetan text. Um, mm-hmm. And all, although in the past we already have a language like the spoken language, mm-hmm. so like yeah, historically we are <laughs> independent. Yeah. Although there were like some kind of you know like yeah it was never my intention to say that yeah. tibet was independent i think the I, the way <laughs> i would hold tibet as independent is the same way i would say navajo nation is or the ne people are independent mm-hmm. but then 
um, you yeah, have yeah, another tribe sounds, come yeah. in. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I never meant to say, like, oh, we're all similar. Because we, we, Apaches and Navajos have some similarity. Uh-huh. But, you know, and Navajos have uh, similarities with some tribes up in First Nation. Mm-hmm. And so I never meant to say, oh, Tibet is part of them. They're all just distant cousins. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, it was yeah. actually, the, like, Navajo people are distinct from Hopis, Pueblos. Even though we do take some things from their culture as well, mm-hmm. um, we are still a distinct entity. Mm-hmm. And that that should be respected. And it would be kind of like a tribe you know comes in and says hey you've pr- you've been in this particular territory you're pra- you're practically one of us mm-hmm. but it's like no 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 we have our own culture we have our own language and we may not have a political you know organ I'm not saying Tibet doesn't have there but we our organization is decentralized mm-hmm. but we are nonetheless our own entity respected um so i see it like that i don't it's it's not like the typical, you know, the way most indigenous people would relate is like, oh, white people came in, you know? Mm-hmm. It's actually someone that's like your neighbor, almost. Someone that historically and like since forever you've known and you've things haven't been that great, but they've been there, your neighbor. Whereas mm-hmm. instead, it's not some white person coming across yeah, the sea, you know? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's why I always, you know, when you're talking to about it, I was like, oh, wow, there's, that's really interesting because it's like, ooh, what is then indigenous people's stance on it? You know, mm-hmm. I don't think I hear anybody talking about Tibet. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just because they haven't thought about it or uh, they or they thought about it, but they haven't figured out exactly what their stance is. And my stance on pretty much anything like that is always national liberation. And then mm-hmm. let the people do their own self-determination. Um, and, you know, that's just how it is. Because I, I definitely can see, you know, I would not feel comfortable if a tribe were to come in and try to consolidate and take over our territory mm-hmm. and like, nah, that's not going to mm-hmm. happen. I'm definitely going to resist it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think it's really interesting, the Tibetan struggle and its similarities between Navajo struggles, mm-hmm. um, not just like politically, um, but just uh, the way it manifests in resources mm-hmm. and the outcomes of nuclear waste Mm -hmm. but how's how's your experience been on the navajo nation so Um, far (laughs) it's been great for me um i felt like to certain extent like i'm at my home and that's because of the landscape um the place where i grew up the dark it's very arid um and like it's very similar like the landscape it's very mountainous um yeah and also kind of isolated and decentralized to certain extent yeah yeah, so I'm enjoying my time here. That's people cool. Are very nice. Yeah, I mean Navajo people. Uh, They're very welcoming, I would say. That's that's one way to. I think it's probably <laughs> if you, if you were white, it'd be a different story. Okay. Um, but we we are we do we do get curious when we see someone who's non-white, mm-hmm. you know, show up and we're like, oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, is geographically, you know, would you say parts of the Navajo Nation feel like Tibet sometimes or? Um, yeah, to clarify, I've never been to Tibet. Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no. Actually, I didn't think but, about that. I'm sorry. Yeah, but like, um, yeah, but I think I, I do know about like some of the Tibetan landscape uh-huh. and it is very similar. Okay. Um, and also like the place I where I grew up, it's like literally the border with Tibet, uh-huh. but currently China. And yeah, the landscape is very similar. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that's my bad. My bad. I totally missed the point on that one. Even though I was, I, I reiterated the whole your history. <laughs> you know, at the beginning, I was like, "Oh wait, duh!" If I'd paid attention. Um, so, you know, when it comes to what you want to do in the future, you know, mm-hmm. what are do you see yourself 
either going back to India mm-hmm. or do you see yourself staying in the U.S. and kind of working on it? You know, what, what's what are some what's your future going to look like to you so far as a <laughs> yeah. most likely going to look mm-hmm. like? So my for now, I'm doing, as I told you, I'm, I'm doing environmental engineering uh-huh. and I definitely want to. I definitely want to pursue higher education, but before that, I want to get a work experience. Mm -hmm. So maybe after my graduation, I would love to work for two years Mm -hmm. and possibly in like in disadvantaged communities, people Mm -hmm. who are struggling with environmental justice, something has to do with environmental issues or like environmental some like somewhere where where I can use my um, like my background as an environmental engineer. Yeah. so that's what I'm going to do. And then eventually go to graduate school and pursue the higher education. And my dream is to go back to Tibet and work um, yeah. there. Because there's just so many environmental issues that I would love to solve. Yeah. And I say this because, yeah, like the, the reason, the sole reason why my grandparents left Tibet was to educate us so that we can build capacity uh-huh. in terms of human resources or like any other skills that would help us develop a country when, once we go back. Mm-hmm. So that's my dream, like to go back to Tibet and work. Mm. But if that's not possible, then, um, yeah, depending on the projects that I l- would like like to implement, uh, mm. I, I would like to work on, I will either stay in the U.S. or go back to India if I could be any help to the community. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I think that's the, the cool thing, too, is it's like be part of, any, I mean, at least with my aspect of how I'm pursuing my future is to work towards the independence. Uh, I don't know, it's weird using independence for Navajo people because a lot of people would consider themselves independent already. But uh, the liberation, I'll say, the liberation of indigenous people of the U.S. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's like, well, developing it. You know, what happens after we do reach that and the U.S. seems to just dissolve and it's like, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. that's the goal. But I don't know um, if I'll see it in my life. I, there's definitely no middle path for me. Um, <laughs> it's just like, nah, we got we to gotta make sure that they, they, they cease to exist so that, you know, indigenous people can, can, can take control of the land themselves. Mm-hmm. And it probably won't be easy, you know, and relationships between tribes will be, you know, it's not going to be p- perfect. But that's kind of what it's at least it's our ability to determine it for ourselves rather than having uh, a giant, you know, U.S. Uncle Sam looking over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, you know, from your experience and you, you don't have to speak on that or if you don't feel comfortable, but well, how would you address some of the issues in the Navajo Nation that you've seen so far? You know, I mean, usually people the I, I, I'm giving you this pass mm-hmm. or, you know, it is. Usually people are like, oh, I don't really want to talk about those issues because mm-hmm. I'm not from that community. But mm-hmm. based on what you've seen, what are some things that you think would be very helpful for the Navajo Nation um, from your perspective? Um, <clears throat> I think um, compared to my community, comparing to my community, I've, I've met my Navajo friends. And yes, some of them understand Navajo, but also at the same time, if you were to preserve a culture mm-hmm. and identity, language is very important in my perspective. Yeah. Um, so, this, for example, if I give you an example from my community, the sole reason why I can speak Tibetan so fluently or it's my first, like, language is because when we came into exile, um, so, like, obviously we wanted to get education, right? Yeah. And then... The Prime Minister, then Prime Minister Jawaharlal Nehru, he 
told Dalai, he like asked Dalai Lama, would you like to send your Tibetan students to like already established Indian schools? And Dalai Lama said, no, we would love to set up our own Tibetan schools so that we can teach Tibetans to our Tibetan kids. And that's how we're going to preserve our culture and identity. And because of all these institutions that are being set up 50 years ago, that's the reason why we still have a very strong um, base in our language and identity. So that's why. So I think that's one way to approach, mm -hmm. um, like one way to like I think know uh, know your own language, own culture. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. Con reconnecting, I guess. Yeah. Um, the second part is, I've seen like. Yeah, like youth engagement is also very important. Like I, I've definitely seen very young activists, grassroots organizers, mm -hmm. um, amazing community organizers. You're talking about it's better than Navajo Nation. What? No, no, no. Oh. No. So I'm, 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 as you said, like I'm trying to oh, like okay. suggest what are the ways. So mm -hmm. the first one is like, you know, learning your own language mm -hmm. or like working towards it, you know. The second one is about like getting youth more involved. Like, mm -hmm. yes, there are, I'm not saying that there aren't youth there aren't any youths involved in the movement or like you know mm -hmm. in yours to for your like to improve the struggle yeah um but then like they, sh they can be more people who get involved yeah. and also like the politicians <laughs> they would like i think they should be more open-minded in some sense and so like they should look towards like the struggle that the young people are having in connecting back to their um culture and that's mainly because they are taught in a western educated system you know mm -hmm. so they have to understand that and try to bridge the gap so that you can retain and preserve your own culture and identity yeah yeah that seems to be the case yeah. you know that i think a lot of people do take is the culture as the the, the uh maintaining culture and language mm -hmm. and the issue with the navajo nation and i'm not trying to say oh you're wrong or anything um mm -hmm. but more of you know, and and you can ask me, and you can let me know if this is something that happens in India. Mm -hmm. Is we have an issue of funding, whereas mm -hmm. ours is funded by uh, a U.S. government. Mm -hmm. You know, it's Western and it's non-Navajo, and mm -hmm. the regulations that they put on that money, mm -hmm. the stipulations, don't really focus on that. So mm -hmm. the education is already shifted just based on money and following it. Mm -hmm. um, is that the case in India, or d in India they're like, or wherever you guys get the funding for mm -hmm. the schools in India? Mm -hmm. It's there. That's a stipulation of like you have to teach them. That's something they have to learn by the time mm -hmm. they get out of that for this funding. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you know anything about that, yeah, I would say like. So when you compare to India and mm -hmm. U.S., like things are cheaper in India. Yeah. Like the monetary value is you know different from India, different yeah. from here. Um, and like the, I went to a Tibetan school, and that's called TCV. So it's like a umbrella of so many Tibetan. Like I think six different Tibetan schools. Yeah. And that that uh, institution is a charity organization and it's mm. being funded by so many donors across the world oh. um so that's how we get the funding and the tibetan current like and then there are other tibetan schools that are funded by the t central tibetan administration and that's how like and we we were able to fund those projects um i don't know like partly through U.S. aid funds, yeah. Um, so that's how it works. Mm -hmm. So that's the scenario in exile. But yeah. in China or in Tibet, that's an entirely different case. Oh. Yeah, like Tibetans inside Tibet, Tibetans inside Tibet, even though they want to learn 
Tibetan, they cannot. Oh. Or like everything is taught in Chinese except Tibetan. They val they devalue Tibetan such that like they are starting to lose the culture. You know, like young yeah. kids are talking in Chinese to their parents, not necessarily Tibetan. But yeah. then there there were movements inside Tibet, like especially the Tibetan youths, trying to preserve their own culture. But yeah. that has been an ongoing struggle for them. Yeah. So it's definitely like, yeah. So it's to a certain extent, it's the similar scenario here in the U.S., like here on the yeah. Navajo Nation. Like That's in, really in interesting. Tibet. Yeah. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, so just to summarize, you know, the two things you mentioned, which is kind of going back to culture, language, mm -hmm. and then following it up with getting the youth more involved. Mm-hmm or at least politically engaging the youth. I think that's those are really good things. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm all for, like, you know, if you want to learn your language, go for it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it reaffirms yourself. And the second, I think, is very important. You know, the Navajo Nation is not very responsive to the youth, even though, you know, with the presidential forum recently, they were like, oh, yeah, we, we represent the youth, veterans, and seniors. Mm -hmm. But, I feel, you know, the, there's a low participation rate of youth. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of them don't go to chapter houses. I don't know the statistics by how many vote, but are also voter participate. Ah, voter participation is going is declining as well as people moving off the reservation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something the Navajo Nation government needs to do. You mm -hmm. know, and they need to take seriously mm -hmm. the more the younger people. Mm -hmm. And they may disagree with them, but they should definitely use that. I mean, mm -hmm. not to sound like I mean, just pragmatically, like <laughs> those individuals are not going to be on the earth. You know, as long as the youth will be, you know, a nice way of doing it, you know. So it's like, well, we might as well support them on our way out. <laughs> uh, sorry. Anyways, um, not morbid, but I'm laughing just the way I said that. But, um, yeah, I mean, you've been with us for, it's been a month, right? I think it's been almost five weeks now. Five weeks, so about mm -hmm. a month. You know, uh, have you had mutton yet? I have. And I, I eat mutton back in my home as well. Cause, okay. Yeah, because... I might not have told you just like told you, but um, my so like right now currently my aunt and uncle, maternal aunt and uncle, they practice like their livelihood is Tibetan nomads. Yeah. So basically, like they live in tents and then they move around seasonally yeah. with their livestock, and their livestocks are sheep, goats, and yaks. So like you know, obviously I was able to eat mutton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, sorry, I, 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 you know, it's weird. It's like, I, and this is probably just my Dene centrism. Uh -huh. where it's like we are the only people who eat mutton. No, you know? I, no, I didn't mean to. <laughs> no, 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 it's it, it's it's more of a commentary on I think Navajos in general. There's always a running joke where amongst indigenous people the, of the U.S. as well as um, within Canada is that Navajos are just everywhere and. Even the debate on, like, Navajo taco versus Indian taco, you know? <laughs> yeah, I've heard about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, we, we tend to be that group that's just, like, out there. I mean, honestly, no, nah, I was going to say, like, if anybody's going to try to take over the U.S. when the U.S. leaves or dissolves, it'd probably be Navajos. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we don't do that. And we're more in hajo with all the tribes. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, once I picked you up and we started talking about Tibetan struggles, I was like, wow, there's a lot of similarities in the way the history between Tibetan people and China mm -hmm. and the history between U.S., uh, between um, the Navajo Nation mm -hmm. and the federal government. Mm -hmm. And, Definitely. you know, and it, it's something that, I've, I mean, I only know about a little bit of Nepal history, mm -hmm. 
So it's not a lot. And it was more of the Maoist in there, you know, doing their own mm-hmm. things and trying to create revolution. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really know much about China or, like, Asia when it comes to things like that. A little bit of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, I was, I'm practically ignorant of it. So I've always, you know, my view is more of, like, a, a Marxist but also settler colonial analysis, which is why, like, for me, I was like, oh, you know, how do I, how do I look at this and how do I, wh- how do I position myself on this? And mm-hmm. I think in the end, it's just more of like nations having independence, their own self-determination, mm-hmm. you know, the same way I would want the Navajo nation to pursue it as well as other nations. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I, people might disagree with me, but that is mm-hmm. what it is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you've been here for about a month. Is there, you know, kind of coming you know, that was like the big political thing. So it was all serious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how do you, shit, I, I forgot my question midway. Don't worry. Things like this happen all the time in the podcast. No, I can say something. Go for it. Go for it. Um, so you, you pointed out that like the similarities between Navajo and, and Tibetan like yeah. struggle. And like, I would say that that's like the one of the main reason why I wanted to like, come to DPI, come to Navajo to work as an intern, Mm -hmm. you know, because, like, so my perspective is this, like, yes, I cannot go to Tibet, and that's Mm -hmm. because of my political status as stateless or, like, Tibetan refugee, because, like, I don't have a Tibetan, I don't have a passport, like, I have a travel document issued by Indian government, and that's, like, how I use to travel across, you know, different countries, um, so my point is like yes I cannot be in Tibet but what can I do right now like how can I support other communities who are facing similar issues so that when I go back to Tibet I'm already trained I'm already versed in all the skills that I need to help my people you know so that's one of the reasons why I was drawn to like working in the Navajo Nation. Yeah, that's interesting. So did you know about the similarities prior, or um, was it just like a happenstance that you're like, oh, wow, this is this So is work when I was here. in UK, I took a class called World Development, and yeah. for that one, we had to do article analysis. Yeah. And I came across Native American struggle, not necessarily Navajo in particular. Mm-hmm. And then my professor told me, like, as we talked about Tibet and, like, the other, like, struggles, he was like, yeah, Native American, like, their issue is very similar to Tibet. And that's how I started looking into it. Uh-huh. Although I, ha- I have no, like, clear idea about, like, how it's actually similar, but, like, I have a very rough idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, and, and this is going to go off a little bit, but what is the view of Native Americans in UK? Like, do they think we're still alive or like what's up with that? I, I mean, just, you know, what's what's I've always wondered that. I've always wondered how non-US uh-huh. individuals view natives. I know in Germany they like love us, I believe, and they're like, "Yeah, natives mm-hmm. kill the cowboys." Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but I've always wondered like UK, like do they there's a there's a joke by a, a, a comedian where he was like he comes up to Navajos, it's actually Navajo people, and he goes, "What? I seen you guys in my textbook, you know?" Mm-hmm. And I was wondering like, is that could you speak to maybe how uh, people in the UK view Native Americans, or are we even thought about, or go on? Um, I don't know much about it. Yeah. Um, but I would definitely say that my pro- my like my teacher was aware about it. Yeah. So I think to a certain extent, people do know about it. Know yeah. about like Native American issues. Yeah. But hashtag we are still here. <laughs> Some people are gonna love that shit. <laughs> it would go. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah. So I cannot really speak of uh-huh. uh, like British people mm-hmm. just because I've been only there for two years. Mm-hmm. And yep. So, 
after the after this is done, this internship, mm-hmm. or you know, where you volunteer your time, you know, what are some things that you'll take back with you? Is there certain things that you're like specific things that you're like, okay, I'm glad I learned that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything specific you wanna? I mean, you mentioned talking about grazing permits and how that might affect Tibet as well with their mm-hmm. own um, agricultural mm-hmm. um, pra- policies. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you'd like to mention? Um, the, the other part I liked was um, how people are very resilient mm-hmm. um, despite all the struggles that they have faced in the past. Um, so for example, I went, to, I went on to this fracking tour Mm-hmm. Um, so it's called like fracking reality tour mm-hmm. um, <coughs> and some of the community mem- members especially the elders they showed us around and they told us about the struggle mm-hmm. and like you know how like so there were some plants like uh, some setup like fracking setup that's mm-hmm. literally in the backyard of like some houses you know and it's scary and it's like the effects are happening like right now you know mm-hmm. but still people are like still people are very much willing to fight the system yeah and i liked how they were trying to fight the system strategically yeah so when i attended the convention it's not just academics yeah. or, or just the community members it was a diverse group of people allies whites non-whites mm-hmm. um and then obviously the community members like native people and youths, um, elders, like, uh, like you know, yeah, a good like a good, like wide range of audience yeah. who are present and who are like, who are very much interested and very enthusiastic and very much committed to this, like to resolve the issue. Yeah. Yeah. So. That- that's what I really, really liked. Mm-hmm. Hashtag protect Chaco Canyon. Sorry, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta throw these in. Okay. Um, I wish you're leaving in a couple weeks, and I wish you were gonna be here until in August because mm-hmm. the the group that I, I work with or organize with, mm-hmm. you know, we're having a, a conference, kind of talking about everything we're mentioning in solidarity. Mm-hmm. And I think it might be really you you you'd probably find it very um, uh, educational. Because mm-hmm. similar to the the um, the people's conference convention mm-hmm. conference people's convention convention mm-hmm. um, sorry they um, it's not just about academics you know spitting facts you know putting out history or anything mm-hmm. but it's also about talking about tactics and strategies mm-hmm. when it comes to resisting or mm-hmm. even going on the offensive sometimes it's not a, not it's not always a defensive aspect in this case it's an offensive um, and a lot of those individuals are very committed to the struggle mm-hmm. you know. Um, shout out to them, and as well as shout out to a lot of the people near uh, Big Mountain and HPL who are resisting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the Navajo Nation is is part of like is we do have that ability to be resistance, but there's also another side of it which is being complicit, mm-hmm. um, and it, it does make it difficult. Do you see people in Tibet who might be complicit? Not not in Tibet, but do you see maybe from Tibetans? some of them being complicit in their stance, you know, maybe they're like, no, this is good, you know, the w- let China occupy us. Like, do you see some of that, or is everybody kind of agreed, like, nah, we can't let that happen? Um, I would say a lot of them would are against Chinese occupation, Yeah. but the younger generations, um, some of them, like, I think, okay, I don't know, maybe, like, some of them, 
don't know about the struggle, especially yeah. who are born in Tibet. Like, they know that they're culturally different, but, like, they don't know about the struggle. Like, mm-hmm. they don't know that they're occupied. Yeah. So, in that sense, then, maybe, but, like, a huge, like, uh, amount of people or a population, like, disagree with China's... Okay, so a majority of them are like, yeah, no. I th- yeah. Yeah, I think that might be... I think it's because that one is so in your face. It's mm-hmm. like occupation. Whereas here, it's like we kind of occupy most of our traditional territories. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's not as a forceful, it's not as um, overt, you know? And so we kind of become complicit maybe. And we're like, mm-hmm. oh, we'll, we'll go back. That's why like our experience is the middle way allows for status quo. And we at least people that agree with me are like, no more status quo. We want full independence. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe at the end, you, you know, maybe at the end of all of this, you're like, yeah, full independence. Fuck that. But, you know, I'll leave that to you to decide. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, who am I to decide what happens in Tibet as it's, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll support Tibet and its liberation, but I won't be like, you guys got to do this or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it seems like, like I said, it goes back to the idea that the, the Navajo Nation and other indigenous struggles within the U.S. and Canada are very similar to what's going on in Tibet. And I'm surprised I don't see any more, you know, comparative analysis on this. Um, um, there, there, so I know some people, and they are planning to do a cultural exchange and, like, comparative analysis soon. Oh, is between I, indigenous people and... Uh, between Navajo and Tibetans. What? No way. Yeah. The, yeah. Yo, yeah. Who, who, who is it? I'd be interested in, like, seeing what that's about. Yeah, I'll definitely let you know. I don't know the details of it, oh, okay. but yeah, definitely there are things happening like cultural exchange first, and then they're talking about how struggles are similar and what we can learn from each other uh-huh. and how we can help each other. Yeah. yeah. We'll, um, we'll trade you five churro sheep for one yak. <laughs> we'll be like, all right, let's feast. Um, but I don't think that yaks would survive here. May, well, well, that's why we're going to eat it right then and there. <laughs> yeah, we're going to eat it. Um, but thank you. I appreciate, you know, is there anything you want to end off? Um, you know, we, we got through a lot and, mm-hmm. you know, it's already, it's kind of coming up to the end of it. And I, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to end on a note that, or at least say something that you wanted to end off on. Oh, yeah. I'm very happy that I get to, like, I actually got an opportunity to, to be here in the Navajo Nation and, like, work at DPI because DPI, DPI, like, Dine Falls Institute is a very interesting organization because of, like, the wide range of exposures that I got through the internship. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. And also, yeah. I liked, yeah, I basically enjoyed my experience here at the Navajo Nation. That's cool. That's cool. I appreciate it, you know, and I, I learned a lot from you as you have learned a lot from me. Just kidding now, um, but you know, at least how our struggles are intertwined and how we navigate the politics of the Navajo Nation. But thank you for being on here. I appreciate it. It was a really interesting talk, and I believe that a lot of other people will find this interesting as well. 